Welcome to episode 378 of the Doctor Day, the Doctor Who podcast. My name is David, and I'm here with my wife, Ginger. Hello. Today we're going to talk about episode 3 of The Power of Kroll. We have a backup to for our cliffhanger, a reprise, uh, when we pick up again with Hard being sucked into the pipe. Uh, Fenner and Dugin have come in the room to, and they see him just as soon as feet get sucked in and he's taken away and there's much steam around and gas and the pipe is was a very heavy gauge pipe and it's been just broken through like it was nothing the uh, thong comes in not too many seconds later and the other two say that oh they, they must abandon the plant immediately and look at what damage is done and Han says absolutely not um, we must find this creature and kill it. So the, um, we find that the Dr. Mamana and Ramda have been, um, taken into, um, another room of the Kroll Temple, and there is a bed of planks, and they all have to lie down on this bed, and they are tied to it uh, with their hands over their head and their feet stretched out to creeper um, with creeper vines and the doctor is going on and on about the window architecture of the room as uh, Ramdot asks Varlik what the method of death is um, basically he describes it that the um, creeper that is being used to hold their hands and their um, the bar that is securing their feet as the sun dries the creeper the creeper constricts and draws the plank out and um, as the doctor listens to the description he says oh and snaps our spines and brilliant <laughs> and he's still going on about the architecture and Ramana finally tells him to, to be quiet um, he tries to tell her a story. Did I ever tell you about these? She says, I don't want to hear. And finally they, they quiet down as Rankwin comes in the room and he comes in and he prays over them and prays to Kroll and says, hopefully Kroll will be appeased by this sacrifice. And the, uh, when Rankwin asks if... <coughs> anyone has any questions before they die. And, um, the doctor starts by asking, why don't you just give it up, Rankwin? He dismisses the question, and then as Rankwin starts to leave, the doctor asks, what was the secret to Crow's power? So Rankwin dismisses the other swampy guards and comes over, kneels by the doctor, and explains how he, the power was a symbol a great symbol to see all and it was brought from there uh, from Delta Magna when the temple was created and the doctor says but what was it and uh, he goes on and says it was a holy relic it was uh, that his people had and they were able to see the future how the Dreyfus would um, would come and take their land and how uh, 
something will come to the moon, uh, Delta Magma, Magma, and uh, so basically they, they could see the future with this relic that Kroll now has. He gets up and leaves the room and the doctor says, he has narrow little eyes. You can't hypnotize someone with narrow little eyes. The mom says, oh, that's what you were trying to do. See, I was trying to get him to untie us. Uh, meanwhile, the doctor asks Ram Dutt who paid for the guns, for him to bring the guns to the Swampies. And he says, oh, Thawn. And uh, he wants to... And the doctor says, well, who do they think bought them? And he says, oh, the Sons of Earth. He says, Thawne wants to discredit the Sons of Earth. And he even has a receipt that Thawne can use to uh, use against the Sons of Earth. And how the Sons of Earth are, um, their political agenda is to wanting to close down a refinery and uh, leave the, the moon to the Swampies and that's magnet to them and that they should all go back to earth and Ram Dutt says starve to death because there's nothing left there and Thorne spent years working to build up this company and get uh, support for this mining operation and so he wants to get them out of his way. Back at the plant Dugin and Thorne are looking at the scanners and the Dugin says that he's counted 30 tentacles on one side alone. Um, Fenner comes in and says that uh, the, pipe, the pump room is cleaned up and they can start repairing the pipe so they can um, continue some of their functions. Thorne says, oh, that's all, that's all fine, but killing this creature has to be our number one priority. And they discuss and begin to argue about ways of killing it. They use these depth charges that Thawne was thinking of. He has 35, but they have to be in position and close to it. And so Fenner suggests a, an alternate plan, but it ends up in a, with a, a similar flaw. And they start to have uh, be upset with each other and start, start arguing more. Meanwhile, Dungeon interrupts their fight to say that a huge storm is coming and the creeper is drawing uh, and stretching the bar farther and farther. Um, the mama says that her, he tries to tell her to relax and he notes the storm is coming and oh, the storms can be quite exciting and She's obviously in much distress and pain from this, uh, from this ritual, and she says that um, that her she can't relax. It's not her muscle she can't relax. It's her vertebrae. They feel like beads on a piece of elastic. So it's getting quite dire. Dot says that his back feels like he's breaking and the creeper keeps pulling. Varlick talks to Ranquin and says that the doctor and Amana are not those two guy they're not from the refinery. 
And Mary Queen says, well, they should die anyway. And Varlet questions this and questions Ranquin and also Kroll because he says, well, Kroll killed Mensch too. And so Ranquin gets angered and he says, you should not question power of Kroll and it would anger him and questioning Kroll angers those angers his servants as well and so he storms off just as the rain starts falling heavily. Inside the plant they are weathering the storm watching its progress and feeling the high winds hit the, the refinery. We see the surfs up in the water tank around the model. The uh, doctor uh, is gazing up at the window again. We see um, it's pouring so heavily that it's even leaking through the window. Doctor uses a, a voice tone to try to shatter the window. The first one doesn't work, so he says, oh, I'll adjust. So he, he does a tire note and the glass shatters in the window and the rain falls down onto the creeper, wets the creeper so that it can, it starts to loosen right away. So the doctor is able to pull the, the bar up uh, with his feet, bend his knees and get enough slack so that he can reach up and uh, work his hands more to untie himself. And then he's able to um, then get up and free everyone else. And they quickly tr hurry out of the temple room because the rain is letting up and the swampies will be coming out from under their umbrellas because they uh, are talking about this storm as being the worst storm ever that they've experienced at this refinery and we notice that the creature is heading to shore and it's heading at a great speed for its size. Swampies come in and see that the, again their sacrifices are gone and Kroll has been cheated again. Ranquin thinks that he says, "Well, to Varlick, well, you wanted them not to die." He said, "I didn't. I, I swear I did not free them. I just questioned whether they should have to die in the same, the same manner, or they should have to die at all. They weren't responsible." And Ranquin seems to believe Varlick's um, profession of his faith in Kroll and they say, well, but all of his people will suffer the anger of Kroll if the sacrifices are not made. The doctor, Ramda and Ramana are running off through the swamps. The swampies are in pursuit, running after them through the, through the reeds and the grasses. Doctor, Ramana and Dot reach a, a very watery expanse and have to try to jump across um, from one muddy segment section to another as the swampies are gaining on them. At the refinery they're still trying to maneuver the cameras to see the creature and then Fenner works out the trajectory of its movement and that, well, it's moving to the settlement. So the swampies are going to have some problems. And uh, Don laughs about that. And Fenner says, you know, I don't particularly like the swampies, but I don't really hate them. 
some I don't see that they should, you know, die by this creature. And Thon goes off on how he's spent so much time building this company and this project and convincing them to back it and he's not gonna let some lily livered is that the word sentimental uh, eco mentalist essentially um, talk him out of it and um, just because of the welfare of a couple savages. So there's more running through the swamps or really the same running through the swamps from the scene we saw of the swampies earlier as they pursue the doctor. At one point the doctor stops everyone following him and says, don't move a muscle. But Rum Dot panics and breaks free, breaks and runs. As he does, a tentacle comes out of the water and grabs him and pulls him off, drags him away. Doctor and Romana turn and run a different direction from where they came and find uh, it looks like the boat the doctor had rowed off from the refinery and they start rowing away out into the deeper waters. The swampies have run up behind them and are running into the shore waters and again Kroll has risen from the depths on the horizon and the swampy falls victim to one of its long tentacles and he's dragged into the water and dragged into the deeper water. And there's a longer shot where we see the doctor and Romana rowing in a boat and they seem to be rowing right in the direction of Kroll. And the end. What do you think? Um... There's not a lot that happens. <laughs> okay, it wasn't There's just me. There's a lot of storm watching, a lot of monitor watching, a lot of storm watching, a lot of running through the swamp, and then, as I said... A lot of waiting for them to break free of the, yeah, the vines. Yeah. Which you know they're going to do, you just got to figure out how they're going to do it. Yeah. And of course they chose the stupidest way possible. I was going to say, and the way that they do is ridiculous, uh, so it's not my... A favorite segment of the story. Um, the scanner images that they keep looking at of the creature um, look like those um, um, those office toys, desk toys, where they're like mm -hmm. the the whole bunch of pins yeah. that you can you know put your hand up from the bottom and it'll show the raised image that looks better than the images they have on their scanner because <laughs> it's like it's not really all of the tentacles look connected to it it's like they've hodgepodge this image of a something like a giant squid mm -hmm. uh, looks more like a giant octopus um, more rounded head than elongated body that a squid would have but Beside the point, um, but yeah, the images that they have on their scanners really are not very good, especially because that's what we get to see over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. From this scanner to that scanner, they have like four scanners on the on the desk there that they're working, 
and they're all mostly the same image and so we see a lot of it and it really isn't very good um, but this is a lot of image scanner watching just sitting at the desk just watching the creature move and then argue about how to kill it that's a priority but yet they're just sitting there watching the scanners and then arguing some more about how to kill it um, and then there's so little activity because then, of course, those are the three refinery people that are left. The only movement really are the swampies um, because now the doctor, Ramdot, and Ramana are confined to this bed of creeper. Mm -hmm. I have to say, as a, um, as a uh, holy ritual of death it's you know kind of an ingenious one you know yeah it's not a bad idea it's funny how enthusiastic the doctor is that oh it, it pulls the board tightens and pulls back and and snaps our spines and he's just so happy and energetic the way he says it um which just irritates Ramana and she doesn't want to think about death and all these different methods and such and so she doesn't want to listen to his stories or him going on and on about the architecture and why did he have to ask this question? He says, I'd like to get things straightened out. He says, must you use phrases like that? It's kind of predictable. It seems like Romana is nothing but irritable in this one, though. Mm -hmm. Pretty much everything that anybody does irritates her. Yeah. Oh, and when they're being um, tied up and everything, and Ramda is asking Varlik about what the other methods are, and he says, well, I try to. Barlick says, I try to tell Franklin that only you deserve to die this way and the others should get the, the first holy ritual. And he says, oh, what is that? He says, oh, that one's easy. They just throw you down the pit and drop rocks on you. It's like, oh, well, that's comforting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the only part I really like about the them being confined to their, their creeper bed as they are is the image, the very descriptive phrase that Romani uses of beads on a piece of elastic. That's kind of creative. Mm -hmm. And very uh, descriptive. You could you know, imagine that very easily and uh, sums up well what they seem to be going through. Probably rummed up more than the others because he's the shortest. I can relate to. Mm. <laughs> He'd be stretched the furthest because the, the board doesn't have it at uh, his legs are all the way out, you know, whereas the doctor and this tall doctor has got, you know, some play. It's going to take a while before it would stretch far enough to pull um, his spine, you know, snap his spine. The other part that was 
kind of interesting is when they, they do get freed and Romana's getting up, she says, that's funny, my nose stopped itching. Says, and the doctor says, there's no time to talk about noses. And she goes, well, it's just a, I should throw in a little bit of her like psychological training. They, they try to do that every opportunity they can, maybe to make her sound very intelligent or, or sound, say, make her sound very academic, maybe. But, you know, well, it's just a, a classic representation of displacement displaced anxiety disorder because because you can't scratch your nose it's going to itch you know but there's a couple other points where she says well your anxiety your uh, aggression stems from this this disorder that she says at one point to Ram Dot in the, the when she first meets him so what do you, what do you think about them always having a, a like a psychological explanation that she spouts. Because it's happened quite a few times. It's fine. I guess that's the personality they're going for, for this version of Ramona anyway. Yeah, the, the green, the still fairly green and experienced, just out of the academy Ramona. I guess. I'm glad they move away from it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fine. It doesn't bother me. And the way the doctor gets them out. <laughs> this is how they meld those party tricks. And mm-hmm. says, oh, she can only do it with wine glasses. Like, mm. We've seen them demonstrate how difficult it is to do it actually with the wine glass. And uh, that's with um, a very controlled environment and very thin glass that not this thicker window glass that the window plexiglass or whatever right that is above them I guess the theory is there but I find the, the practice of it a little ridiculous plus the voice they used for him to do that yeah it's like a mechanical right. sound really um or it's a, uh, at least an artificial sound, an artificial tone. Whereas, could they just not have him do kind of a high tone, or have a someone who who is a singer do it? You know. Mm, yeah. Just that might have been interesting. Two long, fairly high tones, one higher than the other. I'm sure they maybe even found anybody from the cast or the crew to do it. Mm-hmm. Would have sounded better than the artificial one. And close, closer to the idea that, yes, you know, a human voice can break glass. You know, it's just... Even to the younger viewers, I think it would be more convincing than... The mechanical noise kind of thing. But we watch Mythbusters. <laughs> We've seen them do it and how long it took him to, to actually get that to work. So, mm. And I am old enough to remember the Memorex commercials that they, that they 
referenced in that myth. If, and if it's Gerald, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Who in the her voice? Is it real or is it memory? A lot of storm watching, which if you sleep, you know, set inside watching a storm in your own house, how fun was that? So how exciting is it to watch people on television doing that? Yeah, really. Even though they are on a refinery on a distant moon of a planet we don't know about still. <laughs> Just as exciting as you would imagine. So it really drags, um, really drags the story. So. I don't think I have much else, do you? No, there really wasn't much on this episode. No. It's the third episode of four, so it's mo it's what a third filler, taken well, all together. It kind of tricks you into thinking there's more here than there really is. Yeah, probably. Which is probably points in its favor, mm. at least until you figure out there really wasn't much to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you just wasted half an hour. There is some altered, they alternate things that are happening, so it, it seems like there's movement to the story, but really not much, nothing is really moving but the creature <laughs> towards settlement, yeah. essentially. You know, better for the for the last episode. So hopefully, so our ending then. Yeah. The creatures glaring down at them. Again. Again. <laughs> Be cruel in the distance. Cruel on the horizon. <laughs> Wasn't that a song by Kansas? the tentacle the blue clear pulp blue squid pulp no he's got some really long tentacles is he really that far away because the tentacles reached from where Kroll is in the background past in the middle ground where the Dr. Romana are in the boat all the way back to the shoreline where the swampies were, were splashing into the water. Mm -hmm. So, must be awfully long. Well, they said that he could reach. Well, it reached all the way into a pipe. Yeah, maybe refinery. they didn't actually give a. They say something about 30 tentacles, but only on one side. Yeah. So, that's why I'm not sure. Well, they did say something about being so many yards or like two miles across or something well, yeah the one guy said well he must be a mile across or something like that oh, could be. and the other guy said you're not far wrong he's actually a half mile in diameter oh. which means half mile across so well that is kind of far off then <laughs> that was what I was thinking anyway but I, I think I must have misheard it misheard it well, maybe I don't think I did. Maybe it only meant the, the head portion, the main body portion. 
Who knows? Without the tentacles, which would then make it So then it's risen and taken another swampy uh, as a snack. And the doctor and Amana are kind of in, like you said, they're in the middle ground between the crow and the the swampy that was just dragging, just uh, being dragged into the water. Mm -hmm. So it's not a great uh, threat. I'm not sure there's much of a threat at all. No. Yeah, that's why I said it's not really a great one. Because you think, well, they're kind of in between here and here. But um, the last time Kroll surfaced, because they were making too many, they were running around on the surface too much, waking them up. Mm-hmm. Um, he took one person and it was, and he was done. Well, he's, he's got Lomda and the Swampy. So it's like, how hungry is he going to is he going to be? Um, <laughs> like the downstairs neighbor. <laughs> He's pounding on, you know, they're, they're pounding on the floor, tell you to be quiet because you're stomping on his ceiling too much. He just rises up and just eats one. just want to know what they're going to do to resolve the the rest of the story and kind of be done with it. <laughs> Unfortunately, like I said, this wasn't my favorite Key to Time episode. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Alright. Well, we'll see what happens tomorrow when we talk about the last part to The Power of Kroll. Join us then, and thank you for listening.